Hello, NBA members and um, other listeners as well. Um, this is Kyle Klammer here. And this is Zach Welch. And this is? Harlan Welch. And? This is the Good Life Bowhunter, the official podcast of the Nebraska Bowhunters Association. Excellent. Yeah, and as Harlan said, um, we have Harlan here this evening as well. Harlan, you want to just go ahead and say hi, introduce yourself? And Well, I'm Harlan Welch, and I'm from Ainsworth, and uh, basically I came along with Zach tonight just to come over and have a couple beers, and I'm and I'm getting this opportunity, so I do appreciate it. No, it's great to have you on. Um, Harlan, tell us, how long have you been an NBA member, and just give us a little, just a brief background here. You know what? I've been an NBA member since 1990, and uh, when it comes to the NBA, you know, I I know my first experience was I I was with uh, Andy Glidden, and I think it was Rich Walters and myself, Paul Hagen, and Mike Albrecht, um, and I was a senior in high school, and Andy invited us to go to the Jamboree over in Halsey, and really didn't know what the NBA was all about, and went mm-hmm. there and just couldn't believe what a great time we had and how awesome the people were and that and and some of the experiences we had that first weekend and i haven't missed a, a jamboree or a banquet since that time yeah, so awesome. you know when it comes to the nba one thing i always say it's not an organization it's a family and definitely and i truly believe that i i look at so many of my close friends that i never had an opportunity to meet if it wasn't for this organization so yeah. awesome well thank you harlan appreciate that that's uh Wise words, definitely, and and definitely the truth for sure. So, um, all right, Zach, uh, you just want to touch quick on uh, any NBA news and announcements that we have? Yeah. So, uh, last episode we touched on a little bit that the next NBA meeting is November sixteenth. Um, so, if you have any concerns, email your area reps. Yep, that's in Grand Island, I believe. Yep, right? it's yep. in Grand Island. Yep. So. And then, uh, yeah, we, I think we talked briefly last episode as well about LB-126, LR-142, and just, I think there, we had some representatives. Um, yes, we, we did send in a letter about it. Um, we're basically just trying to move forward with that a little bit. Yep. Like I said, if you have any concerns with it or anything, email your area reps. They're the ones that are, you know, writing letters and stuff to... Gaming parks and you know Nebraska legislation stuff. Yep. So, and also as we kind of briefly touched on last time too, you know, just don't be afraid to you know send a Facebook message or whatever to the Nebraska Sportsmen's um, Foundation just to you know support them and they're definitely helping out with with these um, just issues as well. So we just want to voice our support for them too. And, so. and if you're not familiar with it, we're hoping to have them on here in the next couple of weeks or so. Yep. Talk a little more about it. So Yep. Hoping to. So. And one thing to mention, Kyle, is even contact your, your, your Senator Definitely. for your area. That's, exactly. that's what has a huge impact when it mm-hmm. comes to that legislation is, yep. is, uh, those type of contacts. So. Yep. For sure. No, well said, well said. So, um, excellent. All right. Um, okay, we'll just move on to our next segment then, and that is the trophy wall. So, All right, so for our trophy wall segment this week, we've got Harlan Welch on here. Um, and Harlan's just going to chat with us about uh, a recent antelope hunt that he had. So, Harlan, introduce yourself real quick, and, and then uh, just go from there. So, Well, I'm Harlan Welch uh, from Ainsworth, and uh, when it comes to 
hunting big game with the bow, I would say antelope is at the top of my list. And I mean, there's nothing better to me than go out, roam around in the sand hills and, and spend time out there chasing the antelope. Definitely. No, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. So you were out West this fall and, and had some success. You want to tell us about that hunt? And You know what I do? I do some hunting in the sand hills around Ainsworth, but I usually do take one trip. Sometimes it's a long weekend. Sometimes it's five, six days, um, out West out in Cherry County with my good friend, Matt Gideon. And, and, uh, we go out there and, and chase goats around. And, and this year we went on Labor Day and, uh, you know, out in those areas, even like typical Dainsworth, there's not a lot of numbers, mm-hmm. you know, but there is a huntable population. And, and the thing about the Sandhills is it is locating them's half the game. Yep. If you can find them, there's a good chance that if you play your cards right and you show some patience and, uh, and you put in your time, you're going to get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. But, uh, the one thing is you want to. You want to have some good optics and you want to be in shape because those are two things that you're going to need. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, so this fall, I guess you had a successful stock. You want to tell us about that stock? Well, we got out there the first night and we had a couple hours of light and we did some glassing and, uh, I think we saw a couple muley does and that was about it. So we got up bright and early. We were out there actually crack at dawn and we were fogged in. So we sat there uh, sat there on a hill in the fog, looking at each other for about an hour and a half before the sun finally burned through the fog. And so we start glassing a little bit and we hunt one range and we go to the next range and we glass that. And I mean, for in the sand hills, I mean, you get up on one of them high hills, you can cover a lot of miles with your, with your binocs. So, uh, we hadn't seen a thing. I think, you know, we heard a grouse. Mm-hmm. So that was the highlight of <laughs> highlight of our morning. Yeah. So we get through, you know, late, late in the day. And we finally, we see an antelope mm-hmm. and then here comes another one. And we're like, Oh, hot damn. We're, we're on some goats. Mm-hmm. So we track clear over there. We got a, a pretty good hike, probably a mile and a half. And we get over there and, and I'm like, they got to be right here, you know. And Matt's like, you know what, you're going to go first this year. It's your chance. So so I'm kind of leading us through, and I'm like, we got to be right in the area. And pretty soon here comes the antelope, probably 120, 130 yards. And I'm like, we're on them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm thinking herd buck with few does. Here comes one doe. Here comes a doe and a fawn, another doe and a fawn, doe, doe, doe. It's seven of them, and they're all does and fawns. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We finally found them. We came clear over here, and that's it. So we're like, well, we might as well move on. They're not here. And and, uh, so we head to the next range, do some glassing, see an antelope clear over there. And uh, it it looked like a buck. So Mm -hmm. So we head off that hill range and we get over there and and sure enough i get up there to where they had crossed the fence and got into the next hill range and i see i think it was four does and a, and a good buck and so i follow them for probably about a quarter to maybe a little more than that quarter to a half mile and they finally went over a big range of hills and the does disappeared off. And typically, you know, a lot of times them herd bucks will set up on a hill and they look 
forever. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, they peel off that hill and they're running, you know, yeah. catch yeah. up to the does that are now 150 yards away. So, so the buck stood up there forever, but when he turned to go off, he just kind of nonchalantly walked off. So I'm like, okay, here's my chance. So I was probably about 250, 300 yards from him. So I took off sprinting, got up there and, and typically, you know, I very seldom leave the pickup without my antelope hat, my mm-hmm. be the decoy hat. And I use that not necessarily to decoy, but whenever I'm stalking one, I have that thing on because I can't count how many times it saved me, gave me a few extra seconds to get my bow drawn, get yeah. settled. And they kind of look up and they're like, oh, okay, it's just a yearling buck, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, we were Labor Day weekend, so we were by no means during the peak of the rut. And so I waited. I peek up over the hill, and I got my decoy hat on, and there's a doe right below me, 45 yards. I range another one, 53. I'm like, this buck has to be right under me. Well, the other doe is out there like 100 yards, and they have no clue. They're just feeding along, and so I keep getting up higher on the hill to try to locate this buck. And I look to my left, and there he is, and he's like at 110 yards. So as soon as he went over the hill, he must have peeled off, went over the hill from his does. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is about typical. (laughs) I mean, those antelope, I mean, half the time they don't seem to even know what they're going to do next. But (laughs) I get picked off by the doe at 100 yards. She snorts, takes off. Well, here comes the buck, and he's kind of trying to hurt him a little bit well they go about 250 yards into a little pocket and they stop well i ducked off the hill as soon as she pegged me and so i'm like i'm gonna circle around come in from the north on them and they're just still standing out there snorting and stomping looking at the spot i was why circle clear around and I'm like, they got to be right around this hill about that time a doe come walking over the hill right up the fence line and so I range her and she's like at 60 yards and I'm like you know what that buck's gonna probably follow right there and uh and here comes another doe another doe well then the does picked me off while I had my hat on again and here comes the buck well he comes right up there and the doe's like standing there looking at me and I got a range on him and I settled in I'm like just take your time he doesn't seemed spooked at Mm -hmm. all and and i let her rip and i heard it hit i didn't see the impact and he ran over the hill immediately well i sprinted over there and i got up on the hill and i seen the does going up a valley and he's not with them and so i'm like he's got to be right over this hill so i snuck over that hill and looked and i don't see him well about that time he stands up and he's right there and I got a range on him and I was going to put another arrow in him. Well, then he sprints, takes off. And so typically if I have an arrow in one, I mean, mm-hmm. I never want to get him sure. out of my no, eyesight. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to follow this thing until he beds down again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if I'd have known he was bedded already right there, I would have just got to where I could have kept an eye on him and just sat right there. But He'd pick me off. Well, I follow him for a little ways, and he beds down once. He gets up uncomfortable, goes a little bit further, beds down again. Then he got into some sunflowers, bedded down, and I'm like, okay, he's gonna. He's in some pretty heavy stuff right there, but he ended up eventually leaving that 
got into some tall grass and at that point I was able to you know get snuck up and get mm-hmm. got another arrow in him and and so you know then the celebration was on and I meet up with Matt and he was like cool you know I mean we're out there and we're at mid-afternoon and that's the only buck we'd found all day yeah. you yeah. know so so I mean it was cool but typical antelope hunting luck plays 90 percent of it you know and so i mean i was fortunate to to be able to have it play out like it did but he was a good buck i mean oh I, yeah beautiful buck yeah beautiful. i mean we i had matt he boiled out the skull and looked at his teeth probably said six seven year old buck wow. you know so yeah. i mean just a, a good mature definitely buck and i mean to me you go spot and stock in the sand hills. Any any antelope you can get with a bow is a trophy. Oh but, man, uh, any you know any so, antelope with yeah. a bow is a trophy for sure. No, yeah, so, tough critters. So, so I I mean I've been super lucky when it comes to hunting antelope, but it's also like I said, it's probably my favorite animal to pursue. So I I spend a lot of time doing it. Mm-hmm. I think last year I'd went seven times before I even found a buck, mm. and uh, ended up killing the first buck first stock and same thing this year so yeah. i mean like i say luck plays a lot into it but also persistence determination and that too. yeah so yeah the you know zach and i've talked a little bit about it before just the the um it's it's just different in the sand hills you know i mean you know dad and i go out uh northwestern nebraska just by harrison and i mean there's a lot more antelope out there but um the conditions aren't necessarily as conducive to stalking versus the sand hills not as many antelope but generally if you're patient like you said you know you can you can kind of get a chance at one most of the time but yep. yeah and i mean that's the thing about antelope it's like you can have different terrain that's different hunts it's yeah. like we went out to wyoming to where it's basically a water hole hunt yep you know it's a lot flatter area it'd be tough for spot and stock and it's like you go into some other areas you know like you say out there where it's there may be out on a big alfalfa field, but mm. where we're at, water hole's not real effective because you have a windmill or you might have five Every of them section. in one pasture. Yeah. And you might have an antelope that's... I've followed an antelope for three, four miles, you know, and it's like they don't even act like they know where they're headed. You know, it's... It, you know, so so the water hole, I think I've killed one in all my years in the sand hills from a tree stand on a windmill. Yeah. But other than that, it's been all spot and stock so like i said i've been pretty lucky when it comes to antelope but no that's uh definitely a trophy and um always uh just a a really fun hunt and um so congratulations harlan on that and that's well, great. Thanks. thanks for sharing so yeah and some good eating oh man they are phenomenal as as we before uh harlan and zach came over tonight i was actually cleaning an antelope that i got from a buddy because he wasn't going to eat it and so i was actually cleaning that up and um but yeah you literally can't can't uh, can't beat it so anyways you bet well thanks yep all right guys so we've got uh we've got mike Lutt on here just a special guest we've got to um this evening um as we've already said we've got zach harlan and i and then mike we've got on the phone here so we're just going to get started with that um, I guess, Mike, you've had some uh, pretty crazy adventures this last, oh, three months or so. Um, we're we kind of just going to run through the list sort of in chronological order. Would you sure. 
just start with yeah. uh, the muskox hunt in July and just kind of tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm kind of surprised that all four of us aren't uh, bow hunting tonight when it's uh, <laughs> this this nice of weather. So. Yeah, agreed, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, I should say, why don't you just introduce yourself, too? That would probably be a good thing. Well, I'm Mike Ludd. I'm from uh, Wayne, Wakefield, Nebraska. Been a NBA member for uh, basically since it started. So, Awesome. Um, I just... I'm fortunate I'm able to have quite a bit of time or make a lot of time uh, and get out and, and do a lot of different bow hunting. So it's my passion, just like you guys. Excellent. Yeah, well, why don't, yeah, just start in with, uh, yeah, just square one. Let's start with the muskox hunt. Why don't you just tell us about that, just the process and everything that went into that and, and how it okay. went. Okay. So, yeah. Well, my wife had kind of told me that I'd been doing too much hunting and, uh, we kind of had a, a visit about that, but then she had mentioned that I hadn't done stuff with my younger daughter. I needed to do something, and my daughter and I got talking about going to Iceland. So I thought that would be a great idea, and then, of course, in my mind, I was thinking maybe I could slip over to Greenland and shoot a muskox. And uh, that's kind of how that came to be. And just for a heads up, it uh, you're way better off just planning on going to greenland and skipping iceland but it it worked out for me that i got to go with my daughter and and the iceland trip was uh nice but going to greenland i've always wanted to hunt muskox and uh, the area that i hunted in greenland in 1957 didn't have any muskox on that part of the island of greenland and uh in 1957, they transplanted 27 bred female muskox there, and hmm. now there's 23,000 muskox wow, on that part geez. of the island. Um, That's pretty cool. Be, yeah, so it's it's definitely a conservation uh, success. There is a place where the the ice caps came all the way to the ocean, and the and uh, the melting ice caps, the caribou would cross that, but muskox can't swim at all, so they never would cross that water or ice barrier. And so they put them on the other side, and they've been been thriving there. Mike, is that uh, I guess where are muskox normally found? Just typically, obviously, there's some in Greenland there now, but and then yeah, up in northern Alaska. Uh, as far as I know, they're Greenland. Uh, northern Canada, like uh, I think Northwest Territories and Nunavik, um, they might have some in the Yukon, and of course Alaska has some. But Alaska is really hard to draw the tag. Um, a lot of the places I thought, you know, used to see the pictures of the guys in all their caribou suits and cold weather gear and stuff like that, and and I checked into it. Well, I found out that they have the same length of hair in August as they do in January. It's just that they have more wool underneath. So as far as the mount goes, um, and easier to mount also because they don't have so much wool in there, um, it was just as easy to get one in, in August as it would be in the, in the cold weather. And Mike, 
you know, like you say, you you look at a lot of the stuff in the past, and there was a guy getting drugged behind in a little wood box behind a snowmobile, and yep. and the Greenland hunt is something that's kind of just come about here in the last few years, right? Yes, it is, and it's it's going to get more popular just because um, I've been fortunate to go on a lot of nice hunts, and and this hunt. Although it's somewhat expensive, um, your success rate is is very high. There, there's hardly any guys that don't get a uh, muskox. Um, just because you know there is days I would see a hundred some muskox, and uh, I was with five rifle hunters from Pennsylvania and myself were in camp together, and uh, we would take turns. And this this outfitter had been booking with a, a different guy, and they parted ways. So he was short the number of hunters that he had for this year, and uh, the locals depend on him to bring the meat because we don't get to take it back. It's you can't. It has to be uh, through customs and everything. So it just doesn't work. We get to eat some in camp, but we can't bring it home. But he sells it then to the locals and so i lucked out and the week after i was there there were supposed to be four guys coming and three of them were family members and had a death in their family and three of them had to cancel so that left him those guys were going to try to shoot two animals apiece so that left him six muskox short uh and so he asked us Hey, you guys want to shoot another muskox? And it's like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. So don't have to twist we're... my arm, right? <laughs> yeah, it worked out great. Yeah, awesome, um, Mike. Would you just uh, touch a little bit on? I mean, you were bow hunting, of course, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, just the same setup that you're using for everything else, or did you just tweak anything, change anything? Yes, I a little bit different. I I kind of ripped my shoulder about five years ago so i haven't i was shooting around 50 pounds with my compound for a while i'm back up to the low 60s and i will shoot out to depending on the the type of animal and and the shot i will shoot it maybe out to 60 yards that's all the farther i'm comfortable with and i like using fixed broadheads for the bigger game but honestly, I have trouble. I think these new bows are so fast and slap the arrow out there so fast that the smaller fletching that I'm using doesn't guide my, my broadhead too good past 40 yards. So I use fixed heads at 40 and under. And then if I'm hunting antelope or caribou or something and I have a longer shot out past 40, then I'll use an expandable. Gotcha. And I'm shooting a Matthews bow is what I'm shooting now. Okay. So, Mike, on this hunt, what were your expectations as far as, you know, talking to your outfitter? How far shots were you expecting to have on these muskogs? <clears throat> he told me anywhere from, uh, you know, 15 to 50 yards to be prepared for that. And uh, actually, my, my first bull was with a herd of... Uh, Oh, six or seven cows and two or three calves, and it was about a 50-yard shot. 
and didn't get as good a penetration as I wanted. And it was still a, a fatal shot, and the bull ran around the rim and down through uh, a ravine, and I snuck up and was able to get a 38-yard shot after that. Awesome. And then uh, the second bull I shot, you know, later later in the week when he asked us if we wanted to shoot another animal, um, I chose to shoot another muskox, and the rifle hunters, uh, they choose, chose to shoot a, a caribou for their second animal. I have uh, shot central barren ground caribou. That's the, the species, the caribou that is there, so I wasn't as interested in that as... I was shooting another muskox and the second muskox was all by himself and I started my stock from up on the mountain and he was down next to the river so you had the noise of the river that was blocking any of your approach to him and they have this big fuzzy head and as long as you stay behind him and they're not turning their head they're they're not paying attention. There's not wolves there. There's not bears there. So they don't have a lot of predators. So they're not a very, very wary animal on this uh, part of Greenland for sure. And so I got within uh, 20 yards, but I'm directly behind him. So I don't have a shot and he's bedded. <clears throat> and then he turns and lays on his side and falls asleep excuse me so then i have to wait for him to sit back up and then finally he he stands up and then i have like a 20 yard shot so it worked out pretty good very cool man that's that's awesome um mike i guess uh what uh i was just sitting here thinking as you're talking um can you just talk a little i mean because of course we're not you know none of us are very familiar with muskox and how uh um can you just talk a little bit about their behavior and like how they because I've, I've heard things about you know they'll bunch up and sort of you know get in circles right. or i guess just could yep. you just touch on that a little bit so i had heard that too and i figured you know they would see you and they'd spook and you'd have this circle and you had to wait for one of them to walk away from the circle to to shoot them and you're trying to judge what one's a bull and that's not the way it was here. It's hmm. obvious what ones, well, I would say it's pretty obvious what ones are the, are the bulls. They're that much bigger of an animal. Uh, they're a little darker in color. And when I was there, it was during their breeding season. So we actually saw a couple of them breeding and, you know, they're herding their cows. We saw some fighting and they, they really get at it when they, they fight too. And, uh, they do a lot of grunting and uh, chasing their cows, um, but they didn't. Uh, I never saw them once get in a uh, a group, you know, and stand back to back like we've seen before. And the reason those are doing that, I found out, is because they're getting used to being chased with a snowmobile or a dog sled or something like that in the winter, and then. Hey Mike, we lost you there for a second. Yep. Um, we got you back now. I think we're good to go. Okay. Where were we? Um, you were talking about 
where were we when I cut off? It was with the, like some of them, like in the polar cap up there where they get used to being chased by dog sleds or whatever to where they get in the defensive mode. Yeah, these, these weren't like that at, at all. Um, they were, you know, they would run from you if they saw you. Uh, they wouldn't usually run a long ways and, you know, they might go over the, the ridge and then they forgot about you. And if you wanted, you could probably put another stock on them later. There was usually enough terrain or topography that you could sneak, use some boulders or some type of terrain to get closer, but not always. There was places where it was pretty wide open and it was pretty hard to get close to a, a small herd of them that way. And the biggest herd that I probably saw was uh, probably 10 animals and saw a lot of single bulls, a lot of the bigger bulls uh, that had the better horns had been pushed out of the herd by younger bulls. And uh, so those were some of the ones that, uh, you know, we looked for. I think this group, this camp had shot, uh, I think, 45 bulls. um, And we were the second to the last group. So everybody that had came was able to get their bull. Awesome. Mike, you talked about not being able to bring any meat back, but you were able to eat it in camp. How did it taste? Actually, it was excellent. The the outfitter's wife is the head cook. Two of the daughters helped cook. Uh, We had great wall tents with actual small beds in them and a heater in our tent, two guys per tent. Um, The food was was excellent i mean didn't taste much different than than beef i was also able to uh um eat polar bear that he had shot whale seal caribou um so we had a lot of different different things to try it was good most most of it was good polar bear i I could go without that just i'm not a bear fan that way no, I've always heard, you know, I know Jason Shack talked about when his wife yep. killed her bull. He said it was some of the best wild game he'd ever ate. It was almost like a marbled meat similar to beef compared to most other wild games. And he said top yeah. notch. So. Yeah, it is. And they, they don't waste a bit of it. It was really impressive how much these guys would carry and pack out. Uh, and they... I don't know if you've seen some of these native guys do this before, but they'll they'll have a strap and they put it around their their forehead and it drapes down their their back. Um, you know they were carrying out 300 pounds a piece through rough terrain. That was very impressive. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how they they wow. do it. I mean, they would they would take the back two quarters of a muskox and a muskox has to weigh uh 900 pounds i'm I'm guessing they're a big animal and uh one guy would take off with the back two quarters over his shoulders and head down the mountain to the river wow that is crazy yeah very impressive three 
Yeah, 300 pounds. Holy cow! I don't, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I could do that. That's for no, sure. No, I, I couldn't stand up with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, you talked a little bit about the other guys in camp caribou hunting. Did you see caribou while you were after the muskox, or they were they in other terrain or? No, they were kind of in the same area. It was pretty hot when I was there, and we weren't too far. The river that we were at was probably as big as the Platte River and moving about like the Platte is this year pretty fast. And it's all from the ice melting off the ice cap. And it's pretty cool how fast this river, and, and you drive basically right up to the melting ice. Not every day, but some days we did. And the caribou and the muskox were up towards this ice because then they get a cool breeze off that ice. And so we saw more caribou the closer we got to the ice cap. Um, and the caribou that I saw, none of them were, I think one bull was, would have been a Pope and Young bull, and the other bulls uh, probably wouldn't have made Pope and Young. They're just not as big there i don't know if they get hunted that much or if they just maybe don't grow as big there as you know nunavik or northwest territories and i had seen pictures uh when i talked to the outfitter and stuff like that of the different caribou that they had shot and they tried to sell me a a caribou add-on hunt too and i wasn't interested mainly because i said i've shot that kind before and uh, I didn't see any that were that impressive to me. So wasn't that interested. And the caribou are definitely harder to hunt than the, the muskox. Speaking of caribou, Mike, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I believe you went on a caribou hunt as well. But before we uh, um, kind of dive into that, um, and you talk about that a little bit, um, yeah. anything that else that you wanted to just touch on briefly or any other questions you guys had about the muskox? I don't think so. Okay. Anything else you had on that, Mike? Nope. If anybody's interested in the muskox hunt, uh, let me know and I'll give you more information or give me a call and help you get set up. It's, it's a really cool experience. Like I say, it wasn't that challenging of a hunt, but it was still a awesome experience. The, the whole Greenland muskox thing was is pretty cool definitely tell us about your caribou mike where'd you go when did you do it all that stuff just well the floor um, is yours (laughs) i've I've made friends with jack frost a lot of people know who jack frost is but the people that don't know who jack frost is jack was the first bow hunter to shoot the uh, all 29 North, North American big game species. And uh, he maybe I'm not positive, but he was maybe the first one then to go back and make sure all of them made Pope and Young, too. Anyhow, Jack's a, a great hunter, great guy. Um, uh, a nephew of his knew him and I had a lot of the same interest and introduced us and then uh, Jack has been coming and hunting some of my property in Nebraska. And then Jack has property in Nebraska near Norfolk. And I help him out with uh, trail cameras and food plots and different things like that. And 
Jack comes to my New Year's Eve party and different things like that. So we've got along really well. And uh, he invited me to uh, two years ago to go blacktail hunting on Kodiak Island. And ever since I've been a member of Pope and Young, I would go through the Pope and Young book and look, and you'd see this name Jack Frost, and it was pretty identifiable. And this Jack Frost guy was killing a lot of stuff, and especially a lot of blacktails on Kodiak in August. And that was intriguing to me because the bears aren't supposed to be as bad in August as they are in November. And then we're not missing out uh, on a whitetail hunt in Nebraska or Kansas or something if we go in in August. So Jack uh, invited me to go two years ago, and then uh, Lincoln Tap was after his blacktail, and I kind of lost my spot <laughs> to Lincoln Tap. And then Jack took me this year, and we got talking. And I didn't have a uh, barren ground caribou. I'd been on a couple hunts for barren ground, but was unsuccessful for those. Uh, and so he knew a spot, a lake. He'd talked to Chuck Adams uh, a couple weeks before we went. And we decided to go to a spot that had some caribou and blacktailed deer. And Jack's got a little super cub. He flew in uh, the uh, about four days before I arrived, set up camp, and then I flew into Kodiak City where he picked me up, and then um, we loaded my gear and my things, and then we flew out to the camp in his uh, Super Cub and landed with floats on this small little lake. So that's kind of how we got uh, started on the blacktail caribou hunt that we were on. And this is all on Kodiak Island, is that right? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. And we are way to the uh, southwest end of Kodiak. We weren't too far from the ocean. And what was really cool was we'd have a nice day, which isn't doesn't happen all that often on Kodiak, but if you have a nice day, Jack would say, hey, let's get in a plane and let's fly to a different lake. So you'd hop in the plane and fly five, ten miles, land on a different lake and hunt that lake for the day. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I've only taken off and landed on water once, and it was quite the experience. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can no, only imagine. Little, little planes are, there's usually some excitement with those little planes. You yeah. get any type of weather. I think his plane weighs 1,100 pounds. Wow. Yeah, that's not much. I know. It's like you could take a razor blade and cut them apart. It's like, <laughs> but it, there's something. It's cool experience, oh, though. Man. Yeah, it's it's basically like a kite with an engine. It You think you can push your hand right through the, the sidewalls if you wanted. And you, you go over one of these mountain passes, and the wind hits you and jerks you around. And, yeah, you grab the seat in front of you so you don't. I don't know. It's not going to help anything. <laughs> so, Mike, on this hunt, was your primary target the blacktails? And then if you had an opportunity at a caribou, I mean, Kodiak Island, I mean, anybody you talk to that goes there deer hunting, say it's the best deer hunt on the planet. I mean, 
what was your experience as far as going there? Was the blacktail, is that what you were truly after? Well, and then... my, my plan was to enjoy a hunting trip with Jack Frost. And any anything after that, if I was successful on a caribou or a blacktail, would be just a ex, extra bonus. Because, I mean, he, he's just a, a great guy and he's got so much experience and stuff like that. So I, I really didn't care. And it was kind of his idea to help me get, uh, you know, uh, the, the barren ground caribou. So the very first day we were there, we walked a couple miles through this uh, valley, got up on a knob and started glassing. And usually the caribou are down in the the lowlands. And we glassed, and there's so many swales and different dips and things there, it's hard to, you think you're looking at all of it, but you're probably not even looking at a third of it. And so if the caribou aren't moving that time of day or something, you might not see any, and they still might be there. And uh, we ended up seeing seven caribou about a mile away, watching them in the spot and scope. And usually on a caribou, if they're decent, their racks look about as tall as their body. Well, I couldn't see any any racks on those. And we spotted another herd that we knew had bulls in, and it was down through the valley and back up on top of the mountain and of course that looked like way less fun to go after those than the ones in the valley but uh didn't see any horns on the ones in the valley so at about oh i think it was two o'clock i decided i better make a decision if i was gonna go after some i just will go after these these bulls and it took about three and a half hours to get down and back up and up to the top of the mountain where they were at. And they were standing in a, and I didn't notice many bugs, but I imagine that they were standing in a group because of bugs um, in just kind of a shale slide up on top of the mountain. So there was no cover around them for, oh, 30 or 40 yards all the way around them. And they stood in this kind of small circle for, hours and luckily when i made it down through the valley and back up the other side uh it always looks different from where you're glassing when you start to where you get up there but i picked out my landmarks really well and ended up right where i needed to be and i peeked above uh some brush and uh the group was about 45 yards away from me and uh there was i think 10 small bulls all of them branched antlered bulls but i would guess they were only three-year-olds and then there was one bull that was out of velvet he was the only one out of velvet and he had a big white mane and he was obviously the the boss of the the group and he was actually bedded down, and they were all standing kind of next to him. And uh, I had to make a decision um, if I wanted to shoot this bull or not. I didn't think he would make Pope and Young uh, just because he had really strange uh, fronts. And caribou have 
bez points and then they have shovels and usually they're palmated well he had four points two shovels and two bezes that just went straight out for 16 to 20 inches with no branching or anything on those so that wasn't going to help his score but yet he was still pretty unique and i thought a pretty good representation and here he was i had gotten to within 35 yards and that made my decision uh, a lot easier if it's something you'd shoot on the last day you may be better shooting the first day so when he stood up and gave me the right angle uh i shot him jack was watching clear across the valley through the spot and scope and was able to watch the whole thing and the bull thought one of these other bulls had poked him or something so he was charging them and chasing them around until he ran out of gas and then went down the steep mountain in a in a bad spot to recover him so it was pretty exciting well i'm gonna tell you mike i saw a picture of your caribou bull and i don't care what it scores it's a super cool bull and to kill one on kodiak i mean i don't know how many caribou are killed on kodiak every year but it's not a huge number no i i would bet it's under easily under 10 might be under five right yeah. I, I was just thinking I didn't even know there were caribou on Kodiak, to be completely honest yeah. with you. So, <laughs> Frank Adams, I can't think of our Frank Adams, Chuck Adams. Uh, he's He's got a, a friend. When they were there, his, his buddy got one. It's real similar to what I shot, too, just kind of the same thing. And maybe that's kind of the breeding that they have there. Um, you know, maybe they, you know, don't get the the shovels and stuff like others but there's only i think somewhere between two and three hundred caribou on the whole island and so i figured uh you know i better not give up that opportunity and luckily the next day um a plane came over and landed uh farther away from the us on uh, another lagoon or lake and we we know they were caribou hunting, and we heard shots throughout the day, you know, from those rifle hunters. So I would have been competing against those guys. So I made the right choice to take the caribou when I had the chance. So then the caribou fell in a spot, and uh, I knew Jack wasn't going to come over there, uh, at least not that day. And uh, so I started working on the caribou. I had to slide him down the mountain. I got him, uh, I got him gutted, and then I could slide him down the mountain. And I was hoping that if a bear came, they would leave the animal alone and go after the guts. And uh, I slid him down till I found a, a clearing, and then I, uh, I took the back two quarters off of him and I packed those down then uh before dark and made it down down to the to the plane and then the next day went back with Jack and we got the the rest of the meat and the hide and the and the horns out and uh there hadn't been a bear that had found it yet so worked out good 
No, that's great. Um, so I assume you got to you got to bring some of that back. Yes. Awesome. Yep, Excellent. Brought quite a bit of that back. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um. So th- that was kind of the. I understand you shot a blacktail as well. Is that right? Yep. Okay. I shot a blacktail. Um, about the fourth day into the hunt, and I was actually making a stock on a. It's one thing. It's steeper than I expected. Um. I thought we'd land up high in a mountain lake and then we'd walk the ridges and look down, you know. No, we landed on a lake in a valley and you have to fight through the ferns and the alders and stuff to get above them to get up above. And that's probably the first third. And then you, you know, walk another couple thousand feet to get to the top. So it was... It was more physical than I expected, uh, at least where we were at. Some of the other lakes that we flew to were less physical, but we weren't seeing quite as many deer there either. And uh, I had gotten pretty high. I was after two bucks, and then I was going around the mountain, and I happened to glass down the mountain that I was skirting around, and I could see a buck at the bottom of a rock slide. And he was way below me, and I thought, oh, gosh, do I really want to go all the way down there? And that doesn't work out, and then I have to come back up. But I decided I better try for that. I could always try for these others later, quit being lazy. So down I went, and there wasn't much cover, and I was able to sneak within probably 40 yards. And uh, I think the buck actually got my wind when I got to about 40 yards and I wasn't ready for a shot, he jumped up and he went uh, crashing down the mountain through the the thick stuff. And as he took off, he made noise, and then to the right of me, the buck I ended up killing stood up about 75 yards away from me. And I was in my Sitka camouflage in this rock slide that totally matched uh the rock and camouflage was just perfect and i saw that buck look by me twice when i was in the open in that uh, rock slide and he calmed down and then he dropped out of sight he bedded down so it took me about another half hour to sneak to where he was and i knew i was within 20 yards so I was just going to wait for him to stand up, and uh, I was moving around s- some brush to get set up. I had an arrow knocked, and I look in front of me at about 15 yards, and he's bedded there in some stuff that wasn't as thick as I, I thought, but he still had to stand up. So I waited there probably, hmm, I would say it was an hour and uh, hour and a half and he stood up and I, I made the, the shot he was quartering away and then it happened so fast the arrow sounded good but I never saw it hit him because then he jumped off the edge and disappeared over the top of the mountain I couldn't see where he went so I ran to the edge and 
I was in my stocking feet. I ran to the edge to try to look, and I couldn't see him anywhere. And uh, if he was below me and it went left or right, I wouldn't be able to know what direction he went. So I gave it about 15 minutes, and I started looking for blood and uh, ended up, found the blood, and I found the, the deer right away. I'd made a, a perfect shot uh, just in past his his flank and up into his chest cavity. So I was worried at first, and he didn't go very far, so I lucked out. That was a then, cool. I, then I got to pack him back to the plane, and that took, uh, oh, I think I killed him at 1 o'clock, and I got done about 8 o'clock, a couple loads back to the plane, and met Jack back at the, the plane to to fly out before it was dark because you don't want to land with those little planes when it's dark much better to land in the in the daytime yeah that was a cool buck too mike he was a uh, actually non-typical looking which you don't see very often sick of blacktail yeah it was kind of funny i'd talked to to jack uh the the night before about you know that there's no non-typical blacktail deer and why is that he he doesn't know why there's not uh non-typical class for him but he said probably the main reason is because it's pretty rare to have something with a a drop tine or an extra point well this this buck i ended up shooting had a extra point and a drop tine so he's he's pretty unusual and uh Maybe someday there will be a non-typical class, and he'll he'll fit in there. Definitely, Mike. You'll have to excuse my dogs running around and oh, puppies fine. crying, but uh, and listeners as well. But um, <laughs> anyhow, um, yeah, no, that's uh, man, what an awesome experience. Um, I don't know, Mike, if you just touched a little bit on uh, your uh, experience just hunting with Jack Frost and what that was like, and um, yeah. Just go into that a little bit, I guess. Well, so you spent uh, a lot of time together. um, And then, like, day six, I think it was, we spent, like, 29 hours in the tent um, just because it rained the whole time. And so I never get tired of Jack's uh, hunting stories. And... uh, you know, it's it's really interesting to hear. I mean, he's hunted all over the world, not just the North American big game. I mean, he shot, I think, what it's called a Capri Slam or something like that, one of the few bow hunters that's ever done that. And I don't even understand. There's, like, so many goats and so many sheep, and it's, it's crazy. And uh, so it's just neat how he had his camp set up and – the food you know we had our mountain house and our different food you know portioned out for each day and and the way we had our camp set up so it was out of the wind and kept our meat away from us so the the brown bears didn't show up in our camp um all that was enjoyable too just you know if a person doesn't enjoy that part of the the hunting you're missing out on a lot of stuff too i think I actually just talked to Jack uh, yesterday. His daughter, Stacy, 
um, killed her doll sheep finally, and she's been on, I know, over 15 hunts or trips to get her doll sheep. That's been her nemesis. She's killed the four big bears with her bow, and she's killed the other four sheep with a bow, and now she killed her doll sheep. So Jack was quite thrilled and proud, and uh, it's a heck of an accomplishment for anybody, and there's very few women that have uh, shot their four rams with a bow. No, that's... uh... That's pretty awesome, definitely. Um, anything else about that hunt, Mike, or any other things that you have to add to that? No, I just hope I can go back again. I I actually <laughs> missed a, a buck that was better than the one I shot, and you know you always uh, want to go back and redeem yourself. That one was out of velvet. The one I shot was in velvet, but uh, I'd love to go back and hunt that again. Um, it wasn't as easy as I expected. I think at one time, and the way Jack talked years ago, there was you would go there and you could shoot five, I think. And uh, they would bed out in the open and you could see them all day. Well, now uh, I think there's different insects there and stuff. And a lot of these bucks disappear and go into thick cover into the alders and vanish for the day. So you can't see as many, and there's not the population's not as good as it was in the '80s and early '90s. But it's still it's still a fun hunt. Yeah, and you you went earlier, you know, and I have some buddies that went, you know, during the rut, and I mean that's a totally different hunt as well. Yes, you it know is. they they use the decoy method with the deer, the doe hats, and that sort of thing too. But. Um, one thing they talked about, Mike, is the blacktail and being some of the best venison they'd ever ate. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, and they're bigger than I thought. Body-wise, uh, I thought mine was huge. Uh, it was it was about as big as most of the whitetails I would shoot. So, yeah, the, the, meat, the meat's very good. So we, we were able to have uh, venison tenderloins there and uh, and we had some back straps, so that was nice. Yeah, like you say, they they said the same thing. They were like, a, a mature buck there can weigh up, you know, a couple hundred pounds. They're a short, blocky deer, but they, you know, they pack on the weight. Yeah, they do. Yep. Well, super cool. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing, Mike. That's yep. very cool. Um not to not to switch gears too fast on you here, but I know you have a have another story to tell us too um, about your Shiras moose hunt. Um, tell us uh, just tell us a little bit about the journey that that got you to that, and just everything that went into that. Oh, yeah. So I feel very fortunate to have that tag. Um, the unit I was in is probably one of the top units in Colorado. I had started applying for it quite a few years ago, and in Colorado, you don't lose your, your points. if Even if you stop applying, they, they still stay there, where some states you, you lose them. And I think originally when I started applying, you'd send in $1,500 or something like that, and it got up to think two thousand dollars that you'd have to send in 
and then wait for it to come back when you didn't draw. And I was fortunate enough to kill a really good bull in in uh, Wyoming, uh, I think in 2003. So I had quit applying for uh, Shiras moose in, in most states because I figured that was an animal I just didn't need to be spending the money on and stuff like that. Well, then Colorado switched last year to where you have to buy your hunting license first and pay 150 some dollars and then each animal after that you pay nine dollars to apply for so i had i think eight points already you can't draw until you've applied for at least four years and then you have a small chance of drawing well so i sent my nine dollars in and they i think how it works um certain percentage go to the people who have the most points and then a small percentage go to anybody else then that's in there well i was one of those other people that was in there and i had some points but uh not a lot um i met there was four archery hunters that drew tags in that unit and i met the other three guys and all three of those guys had 28 or 29 years of applying. Jeez. And That's incredible. I, I had, I think, nine. I checked it. When I checked my bull in, I, I checked at the wildlife division and asked them how many points I had. And they told me that I had, I think, six points. Uh, so I would have had nine, nine points. The three three that you have to send in before you can draw and then i had six more points after that so really lucky to draw that tag in that unit so mike you talk about meeting these other hunters in that unit did you meet them on the hunt or did you meet them prior to the hunt or how'd that go well so i have one of the reasons i was applying for that unit i have a buddy that's an outfitter mark turner uh out there and He's come and hunted at my property, and his wife and him come turkey hunting. They're Pope and Young members, uh, both uh, stick bow shooters, uh, real real serious hunters. And he, he runs a construction business and an outfitting business, and he helped me out when I drew my uh, uh, bighorn sheep tag. And when I killed my bighorn sheep, he was, he was with me, helping me with that. And he had encouraged me to apply for these moose because at one time Colorado wasn't that wasn't known for big moose and the last 12 15 years uh they've really increased and really you know well I think the new world record archery comes from Colorado that's how good it's gotten so he he was the one that was encouraging me to apply and so when I drew the tag I called him up and he had already booked uh, two other hunters um, that he was going to take hunting. So two of the four hunters were already booked with him, and then I was able to come along. And then we met the other guy uh, that had drawn the tag too. So it was kind of nice. We weren't uh, stepping on each other's toes and staying out of each other's way when we were 
we're hunting. So it worked out pretty good. Yeah, no, that's uh, always helpful when you, I mean, if there's only four, four of you hunting, if you know the other guys, what they're doing, then you can make a game plan from there. But um, tell us a little bit about how the hunt went, Mike. Well, uh, a lot of Shiris moose, you'll see them all summer long when they're in velvet. And as soon as they start shedding their velvet and when the willows start to freeze and change, the moose disappear. And that's usually about the same time that the season starts. And sure enough, uh, the scouting that they did before and what we, we knew about, the moose were around, and then, of course, they were disappearing. We couldn't find them. And I didn't see a bull moose the first day. Uh, one of the hunters killed a moose the first day, so then he was he was out. So then it was down to the three of us. And we had a week to hunt before I think there were six muzzleloader hunters then that would have tags after a week. We could keep hunting, but then you're going to be competing with six other guys that had muzzleloader tags. And we did a lot of, a lot of walking uh, through willows and different valleys away from where the hikers would be. And uh, we're looking for moose. We're seeing sign, but, you know, weren't running across any, any bulls. On the second day, I think I saw a small bull and one cow. The third day, I saw three bulls. Uh, two of them were together, and all the bulls were still in velvet. <clears throat> and we had talked to some elk hunters, and they were free with information as far as uh, where the moose were. And sometimes you didn't get the best information. One guy was telling us, oh, yeah, I saw two huge two huge ones over here. And then he said over in the other valley, there's even one with horns. So <laughs> you didn't know what kind of information you were getting. Yeah. <laughs> we were all, all excited he had two huge ones, and then we realized those were didn't even have horns. So. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) but we did talk to some elk hunters from from Texas, and uh, they had seen a a big bull, and it was a bull that we'd been looking for, but we couldn't locate him. We looked for him for another day, and then we caught word of uh, another two bulls that were up above Timberline, so we went to look for those, and one of the other guys was going to look for this big bull that we'd been looking for. So we got positioned up above Timberline, way on the east side of the unit, and we had been hunting way on the west side. So the other guy uh, that was helping us out, he was going to look for the bull on the, the west side of the unit. Well, we're sitting up above Timberline waiting for the bulls to come out of the timber and feed up to the alpine willows and uh i get a uh phone call from this other guy and i answer it and he said he found the bull and he says it was a really nice bull and about that time the other bulls start coming out and i said well i i gotta go and uh he sent me a picture of this this bull and it was it was a great bull but now I have 
this really nice bull that has just come out and I need to get a better look at him. Well, I decide that I can't worry about this other bull. Who knows if he'll be around. Uh, he's an hour away and we only have 30 minutes of light left. Maybe he'll be there tomorrow. Maybe he won't. Um, so I decide that uh, this bull that I see is is good enough. I need to make an attempt and make a stock on him. And so there's two bulls together, and uh, they're probably oh almost a half mile away. So by the time I get over to them, they're not where I'd seen them before. And uh, I finally find the smaller of the two bulls, and the bigger one had been behind him. Well, they'd changed positions, and the bigger bull I'd got basically uh, probably within 15 yards of him, and he heard me, and he started grunting. I don't know if he thought I was a cow or another bull or something. So he's just on the other side of the willows, and I can see the top of his rack, and he's grunting, looking my way. And I don't have a shot, and he's 15 yards away, and I can't can't get a shot. So I wait about 10 minutes, and he gives up on whatever he thinks I was, and he starts feeding again. And to get close to him, I have to get around the willows uh, because they're too tall and I should have an opening in the willows. But to get around those, I have to sneak closer to the other bull. And I have my, my sh shoes off. I'm in my stocking feet. And I get within 18 yards of the other bull that's feeding and I'm just about ready to have a shot at uh, the big bull. And the small bull sees me move, and he takes off running, which causes the big bull to look up and be alert. And I draw my bow and peek out from the willows, and he takes off running. He was at 25, and he goes to 30. And I call to him, and he stops, and about that time the arrow hit him. And uh, he only went another, no, 50, 60 yards, and he went down. So it was pretty exciting, and uh, he was above a road. We were able to pack him back down. There's a road probably less than a quarter mile below us that we were able to, to drive to. And then... Uh, the last hunter that we knew still had a tag. He went to look for that big bull, and he looked for four days and never found him. So I made the right decision. <laughs> well, and Mike, when you talk about the big bull, I mean, for those who haven't seen the picture oh, of your bull, yeah, I mean, that thing you would think is a Canada moose or yeah. even... <laughs> Yeah. Out of the Alaskan Yukon species. I mean, that thing is a giant. So yeah. I don't know how and big I'm, the other bull sure. was, but. Yeah, I'm not sure if that other bull was even bigger. You know, he was wider, and sometimes wider makes him look look bigger. But I don't mm -hmm. know if his palms and stuff were any better than what I shot. So I'm very pleased with the bull I got. So. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what he scores or whatever, but I mean, that thing has to be near a Boone and Crockett type. I mean, that yeah. it's a giant. Yeah, yeah, he, a, he he would gross Boone and Crockett, but he he wouldn't net Boone and Crockett. He's going to be a little bit short, but that's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. He's impressive. He's cool. Very cool. 
Yeah. Very cool, Mike. Um, Mike, just I was as you were talking, I was sitting here thinking, and I, I would assume um, because this is unit is so hard to draw um, that you wouldn't. I, I was just wondering what part of Colorado was this? Was this northern Colorado, north? Um, it, it's uh, Winter Park, Fraser. Okay, those those are gotcha. some of the. If you know where that's at, so yep, yep. It was just. I was I was gonna say Walden. Is it south of Walden or kind of that area? That's what I was thinking in my head, but yeah. So south of Idaho Springs, when you're going on the interstate. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. We've got some family out there, Mike. I know. I know right where you're talking. That's some pretty cool area out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good enough unit that uh, the governor's tag bull has been shot there the last two years. Wow. And I saw the governor's tag bull this year, and I wouldn't trade him. So yeah, yeah, we went we went trout fishing right yeah. about a Fraser there. So we that's we saw him moose area. out yeah, there. Yeah, we when... did see. There was yeah. moose sign everywhere yeah. that we went. But yeah, and once again, these moose aren't. Uh, you know, it's not like hunting a open country mule deer or whitetail or something like that. They're not. Uh, you know, super wary, but it's still a still a challenge and a different type of hunt and and it's it's cool and i hope everybody gets a chance to to hunt a moose someday they're 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 a cool animal one of my favorite animals to hunt yeah a heck of a trophy no doubt yeah yeah Yeah, definitely any advice for any people applying for you know tags and those types of things mike in different states do you have any thoughts on that or no i uh just people just you know if you really want to go someday on some of these i've been very fortunate to go on some some great hunts uh my wife is getting tired of me talking about these once in a lifetime tags because (laughs) i've drawn colorado uh, mountain goat bighorn sheep and moose and those are basically all once in a lifetime tags i've drawn in wyoming for moose and uh, big horn there also but a person just has to when i was younger i i went to the banker and got a loan so i could apply to these different states and he thought i was nuts but he still let me do it and i started applying so i could build the points and you'd get the money back and then you'd have to pay the interest and and stuff like that but for me it was something that i was very glad i did is it as effective as it used to be? Uh, probably not, because you younger guys will be behind the the curve. But if you don't have the points and they change something someday, you're still going to be behind. So yeah. I would still suggest if those are things that interest you and to draw a really good unit and have some really great hunts, um, need to apply yeah the thing i always like to keep in mind mike and i'm maybe you have this sort of same thought process is you know even though you know applying for all these tags and stuff gets awful expensive and you know the money's not going to waste and it's being used for wildlife conservation and all that stuff too so anyhow, exactly but, so yeah. you know you, you can count that in your mind as a donation and things like that i mean the the moose that have been brought into colorado you know, I benefited from that. The the muskox in Greenland, 
I mean, all that is because of our conservation dollars and things that we do as a, as sportsmen to to help out the wildlife. So it's it's well worth it. Yeah, I also wonder how many people can in the world can say that they've shot a shirus moose with their bow in Wyoming and Colorado. I don't know. I would I would like to know that number. That would be interesting to know. But. Yeah, probably probably less than ten on that. I'm I sure. would say you're probably right. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, Mike, hey, thank you so much for uh, coming on this evening. Um, just real quick, if you have any other closing thoughts um, or you know any upcoming adventures, hunts that you're planning, we'd love to hear about. Um, just give you, a, you know, just a little bit to just chat about that if you have anything to add. No, I'm I'm trying to stay married, and I'll be uh, uh, staying hunting whitetails and nebraska and kansas so i've pushed my luck far enough this year i got a great wife and uh one of the things i i look at it some of these guys that are able to do all this hunting one of the things i look at i give them bonus points if they're shooting it with a longbow or a recurve and i i give them d ducks if they're not married see so it's <laughs> it's a challenge <laughs> uh, fair enough fair enough well like I said, thanks again, Mike. Um, anything else you wanted to add or things nope. you had? To? Perfect. You guys have any other questions? I don't think so. Your wife actually talked to us. She's trying to get a stone sheep hunt lined up for you, Mike. So. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> she, is a, she is a good wife. I don't know if she's that good. But <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No, awesome stuff. Yeah. Appreciate you yeah. sharing yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for sharing A lot of guys that. don't get to go on these adventures and – and just sitting here listening to the stories is worth a lot. I mean, it, yeah. it really is. So Well, and one of the reasons we go, we love to share our experiences and our excitement. And, you know, that's I love hearing about other people's stuff, too. So I, I enjoy sharing with you guys. Yeah. So. Very good. Um, well, thank you again, Mike. Just uh, really appreciate you coming on. And I think all the equipment worked as planned. So uh, I, I'm hoping this will all work out great and we'll we'll get this episode up. And uh, yeah, just thank you so okay. much. Really appreciate it. So. You bet. Talk to you guys later. Thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks again, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Hey, guys, for our Meet, the, Meet an NBA member segment this week, <clears throat> we've got... Orin, I, Orin Seidel on here. Orin, you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself for us? Yeah, you bet. Hey, this is Orin Seidel. Um, grew up up in Ainsworth, Nebraska. I think most of the NBA members got a pretty good idea where that's at. Currently living in North Platte now, and thanks for having me on here. Yeah, what are you doing, North Platte, Orin? Uh, right now, I... Uh, I am an operator at the wastewater treatment plant for the city of North Platte. Awesome, awesome. And tell us a little bit about your family, Orrin. Yeah, I got uh, got married here a few years ago now to uh, Courtney, and we got one boy just turned two this summer, named Parker, and we actually got another one on the way right now. Oh Supposed man! To show up in March. So. <laughs> you bet. That's Gonna awesome. Be even more busy. Congrats, man! I'm right there yeah, with you. So. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um, well, let's just jump right into these questions here then. Um, okay. So first one I got is just, how long have you been bow hunting? Um, probably, seriously, bow hunting, probably about 17 years now. I mean, 
I, I had a bow in my hand when I was a lot younger than that, but <laughs> you know, it's one of them deals. I just, I didn't even know what in the heck I was doing. Sure. Yeah. But uh, when I really seriously got introduced into it and started actually shooting and got a real bow, you know, it's, it's probably been about 17 years now. Awesome. Awesome. Um, did you have any mentors when you're starting out? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, to be honest, I've probably got more than I can even name, but <laughs> the the one that really probably took me under his wing was, uh, Mike Albrecht. Yeah. And that's, uh, mainly stemmed from me and his boy, Eric being best friends growing up ever since kindergarten, you know, they're the ones that really got me introduced to it. But yeah, Mike is, he has definitely helped me out a lot along the way. Yeah, I think I think he's helped a lot of us out along the way. Yeah, sure, so. no doubt, for sure, for sure. So, awesome. Um, what's your favorite bow hunting memory, Orrin? Oh man, I, there's that's that's a tough one to me <laughs> for me to narrow it down to a single memory. But if I had to pick my top one, it would probably be. When I was in college, so this would have been, I think it would have been 07, the season of 07, mm-hmm. me and Eric and Mike and Jake Runyon and Andrew Ford were up hunting muleys up in the grasslands. And that was the, I actually, I shot a muley that trip. That was the first muley I ever shot. Mm-hmm. And it was a spot and stock deal. And my buddy, Andrew, who's, I think most people probably know he's passed away now, but he was standing about 10 yards behind me when I shot that buck. Hmm. And that was, you know, that was pretty cool. That's one of the last big memories I have hunting with him, but that was pretty sweet deal to have all the guys there for that one. And the icing on the cake, that buck I shot, Jake Runyon missed about an hour prior to that, so that made everything even better. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. That does make it better for sure. So, <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's that's great stuff, man. But yeah, very, very he cool. uh, he still uh, hasn't lived that one down. That comes up all the time. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's on yep. my wall, so whenever he comes to visit, it reminds him of it. Yep. Oh, that's funny. Oh man, what's uh what's your favorite animal to bow hunt and why, Orrin? Um, it'd probably be a man, I I'd probably have to say whitetails. Yeah. Um, just cause, you know, growing up on the on the river valleys up there in Brown County, you know, that's just what I cut my teeth on learning how to bow hunt. Mm-hmm. And although I like hunting a lot of other species, those just hold a special place in my heart. Yeah, no, they, I think a lot of people would say that, especially just living in Nebraska here, that those, yeah, those whitetails. Right. And, I, I, so. I think so, too. I, I mean, even to this day, when I'm in the stand and have a have a whitetail buck walk right under me at five yards, you know, it's that's pretty tough to beat. Oh, yeah, yeah, especially when he's a giant or no, <laughs> yeah. or or, even, or one that you want to shoot, you know. Don't matter to me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if it, I just, I always feel like when it, uh, you know, when when they get to, you know, any deer walking in your stand is really cool. But yeah. there's just like something crazy that happens inside of your soul when there you, is. I, when, well, that's, yeah, when me and 
my wife now, when we first started dating, she grew up in a hunting family, even they, but they were rifle hunters, which that's fine. Yeah. But she had never experienced that. And I'll never forget the first time I took her hunting. She, she wasn't hunting. She was just going with me, you know? Yep. And I, I hung an extra stand in this tree. And she was sitting there, and it was, it was an evening hunt, and we hadn't been there very long, really. Not mm-hmm. long enough for her to get bored yet. Yeah. And <laughs> we had a, just, a, just a couple little bucks, you know. They weren't even, I mean, just little little basket racks. Mm-hmm. And they were they came right in, and they come into like 20 yards and just bedded down and just laid there right in front of us. And, I mean, you know, you've seen it. Lots of, lots of people have, but she had never experienced that yeah (laughs) and it it was just like a whole new experience for her even though she'd been around deer hunting her whole life Uh and she's like oh my gosh that was one of the coolest things i've ever seen yeah it's it's and then we didn't even shoot anything you know but she still i I guarantee you she remembers that yeah my first bow hunting memory is is a little, little dinky buck when i was my dad stuck me up in a tree with him and i remember just seeing this little buck came in and rubbed his antlers on a on a on a tree and uh you know licking branch and made a scrape but yeah no it's sticks in my memory i'm sure she'll remember it, uh, that too, those, those first <laughs> memories it's like they just tattoo themselves into your brain definitely um let's well let's just keep moving here a little bit All right. um what's uh what's one animal you always wanted to hunt um but haven't yet and why I probably have to narrow it down to caribou. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, any Alaskan big game, mm-hmm. I'd be hands down all about. Um, I have not made it to Alaska yet. That is on my bucket list. It's going to happen hopefully in the near future. But some, I, I mean, moose, caribou. I mean, anything I'd be awesome with. But I would just love the experience to be fortunate enough to catch that caribou migration yeah and seeing thousands of animals i mean i know it doesn't always work out that way but sometimes it does yeah yeah you know man that is something i would just love to witness i i would agree with that that'd be very cool i I almost got to go here a couple years ago and some plans changed and then ended up falling through so that kind of stunk but hopefully hopefully here before too long i'll get her done Hope so too, man. That'd be awesome. Um, this is probably a tough question, but if you yes. had to kind of narrow it down um, yeah. to one or two people, um, who would you say your bow hunting role model is? Or who do you strive to be more like, I guess, in your kind of bow hunting career? <laughs> Besides Jake Runyon. No, just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know that Jake Running would be my first pick. He might make the top ten, maybe. But... Yeah. <laughs> um, That's I a pretty generous know. top I mean, ten. We're talking, are we talking like celebrity bow hunters? Oh, I don't know. Or are we just talking just anybody? Anyone, anyone. I can, well, I can tell you growing up, you know, lots of people might laugh at this one. I don't know. But growing up, I remember watching Whitetail hunting on TV. And I remember, I loved watching Stan Potts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, I did. I don't know what. I Honestly, I think a lot of it was was the excitement that yeah. he had when he shot something. You don't oh, see man. a lot of that yeah, anymore he, he on does. TV. You don't. Yep. And he always had that. And something about that, I just always, I could connect with that. Yeah. You know, because that's how I felt too. Sure. And not only that, he was a smart dude. And he knew what he was doing. He killed a lot of big bucks. Yep. You know, and I that that was one dude. As far as 
as far as whitetail hunting goes that I really looked up to. Now, there's another guy here. This, this last few years, I've kind of been uh, leaning a lot more towards traditional archery. Yeah. And I started following this guy. Some people may know him. A lot might not, but his name is Clay Hayes. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if you know about him. I don't, actually, no. No, his name's Clay Hayes. Um, I have been following this cat very closely here this last probably two years. He's got a bunch of YouTube videos and stuff up. Um, he kind of started out getting more popular um, by making self-bows and actually yeah but he's a very smart guy and i have learned a lot of stuff just from watching his videos and watching his hunts and stuff he's a good dude for anybody looking for bow hunting information even even not specifically traditional just bow hunting in general smart guy down to earth guy definitely no it yep. sounds like somebody i need to check out too yeah yeah <laughs> definitely dude I, I i know that you dig him yep his name's clay yeah. hayes okay sounds good man well i will i will for sure but um i guess let's uh i think the next thing i got here lauren is how long have you been an nba member i you know i think it's been about 15 years now going on 16 i think Wow, yeah, that's awesome. Which is crazy to to even think that, you know, because, yeah. <laughs> man, I remember first time going to the banquet and jamboree and stuff. I don't even know if I could drive yet, so yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to think it's been that long. But yep, yep. No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, what, uh, what's your favorite NBA member, Orn? Uh, my favorite NBA memory? Yeah. Um, probably... Oh man, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of them that could go yeah. on forever. But this, I guess, this kind of goes back to what I was just talking about a second ago. But the first time that I went to Halsey for our jamboree, mm-hmm. I remember my dad took me and Eric Albrecht. He drove us up there because we couldn't even drive. Mm-hmm. He drove us up there, dropped us off with our little tent that I'm pretty sure came from Fisher Price. Yeah. <laughs> and said see you later yeah <laughs> so we didn't have i mean a means of transportation or we had a little tent and a cooler with a little bit of food in it and our bows and that was it <laughs> and awesome. stayed up there for three or four days just shooting ranges till our fingers bled you know sure, but sure. man that was that was the first time i had really been exposed to that yeah and i just ate it up you know i'm like man this is awesome and i don't think i probably missed one since yeah no it's I think we've said it multiple times on this podcast, but golly, that's such a fun time. And if it anybody's is, listening is. that hasn't been there, they Anybody definitely that need hasn't to go check made it, out. it needs to, for yep. sure. Yep. Um, all right. Next thing. Now, this is a t- kind of a tough question, too. Okay. Uh, um, how would you say the NBA has influenced you, Orrin? I know that's kind of a broad statement, but what uh, what types of things come to mind there? Well, I can tell you it's definitely influenced me numerous ways, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, it might be kind of hard to list everyone specifically, but just from being a member of that club, I have met so many people over the years yeah. that have so much knowledge and experience and passion for the same sport that I do, you know, that they have opened 
open my eyes up to thinking about stuff in other ways than I normally would. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I firmly believe that being around those people has made me a better and more responsible sportsman. Stewardship of the land, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the members there are just, just top-notch people. They truly are. Agreed. And I Agreed. think I think vast majority of them, hands down, have their heart and minds in the right place when it comes to the sport of bow hunting. Yeah. And that, that definitely carries through with a lot of people, me for sure. Yeah. No, I think I, I completely agree with you there for sure, Aaron. That's well yeah. said, well said. So there's a lot of great people in this organization. And we're Absolutely. just Yeah, we're just pretty fortunate to be a part of it and just yep. have a – I mean, to just have an organization like this in our state, I think. Well, yeah, so. for sure. No doubt. No so. doubt. Um, Warren, give us two interesting facts about yourself that are not related to bow hunting. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty much all I do is bow hunting. But, <laughs> um, I do like playing guitar. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I got into that years ago. Um my my parents actually made me take lessons. I think it was in fourth grade, if I remember right. Good for them. Made Jeez. me take yeah. lessons. At the time, I had no desire to play guitar. I wish I would have because I'd have been, you know, years ahead now. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it definitely got me started into it. And, you know, having a two-year-old and one on the way, you know, I don't get to play quite as much as I would like to, but I still try to. Um, but I, I do love playing guitar. That's another passion of mine. Um. Another one, um, I, lo- I love trapping, if that's different enough from bow hunting. No, it definitely <laughs> is, for sure. Um, yeah. I, I do, I love trapping. I remember the first trap I ever set was with my dad on this creek that ran through our property. We set a little 110 conibear in a muskrat run. And, you know, I was so little, I barely remember this, but I do. And I remember the next day we went out there and, punched a hole in the ice and pulled up this 110 with the muskrat in it and i just thought that was the <laughs> coolest thing yeah. i mean that just captivated me i was hooked right there yeah no that's to, to this day i mean i've trapped a lot of different species since then yeah but something about muskrat trapping holds a deer in my heart i love trapping rats <laughs> yeah yeah no, they're uh no that's great man no I, I i often hear people talk about trappers being you know, excellent outdoorsman, and I completely agree with that. I just think there's a lot of things you have to know about the animals. I and, do. I, yeah. I do. I, you know, I, I kind of compare it when I talk to people about it. Or talk to people about the subject. Sometimes I kind of refer to bow hunting, you yeah. know, because a lot yep. of it's it's different, but you're kind of looking for the same things. I mean, you got to know that animal. Yep. And you know, you're trying to make this wild animal step within a one and a half inch area. Yep. You know, you got to know what's going on. For or you're sure. not going to be a very successful trapper, which is my case sometimes. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think I'll. I think everybody that traps would would say that. I'm sure. But um, the uh, yeah, I was. I think the old. I heard one time somebody talk about. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some similarities. You know, bow hunting, you got to get close and you know within 15 yards, and then. I, th- I think somebody said one time, I don't remember, it might have been on a different podcast, they're like, well, yeah, you know, you you have to get within 15 yards or 20 yards or whatever your your effective range is with a bow, but then, you know, right. you're trying to get an animal, like you said, to step on this, you know, one and a half inch 
uh, you know, yeah, you got a piece of metal, you know, so anyhow, it's, and when you start getting into critters like, like, uh, trapping canines, specifically coyotes, you know, yeah. they don't put up with stuff. No, they're no. smart. Yeah. And anybody that's called coyotes knows they're smart. Yep. Yep. You know, then try to get them to step on a area, you know, that size. It's yeah. It, you, if you can, if you can trick one of them into stepping into your trap, you've done something right. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, we just got a couple more questions here. Um, just kind of wrap things up, but um, what uh, what advice would you have for the up and coming bow hunting generation, Orn? Um. What, you know, this is something I, I, I've actually talked to a lot of people about this over the last handful of years, mm-hmm. and I think it, I truly think it gets overlooked, it is just getting back to basics of bow hunting. Um, for someone new to the sport, you know, they start watching these hunting shows or looking at stuff online, reading all this information. There's a good, lot of good information out there. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But yep. you don't need $3,000 worth of gear to start bow hunting. You know, and I think yep. that, I think that that scares a lot of people off. A lot of people don't have that budget or just don't want to spend that much. Sure. Money. Yeah, no, definitely. But you don't, you don't need to. I mean, Lots of this technology stuff, which I'm not saying that some of it doesn't help us out. It surely does. But a lot mm-hmm. of it, I think we can do without, too. <clears throat> I think a lot of people start relying on this stuff too much instead of getting back to the true basics of bow hunting. And somebody starting out, you know, I don't want people to be intimidated thinking that they need all that stuff. Yeah. Because you don't. No, you don't I, need a, I you know, You don't need a $1,500 bow and and all this stuff you know there's a lot of affordable good equipment out there that can get the job done you know i i hate to see people get discouraged from that um i guess something else uh get the kids out there i know that's preached a lot by a lot of people that's nothing new but get the kids out there i very few people that are introduced to the outdoors at a young age don't fall in love with it yeah Get them out there, let them enjoy it. I mean, keep it, get the next generation involved mm-hmm. so we have this sport to continue for generations. And uh, one more, this kind of goes a little bit back to that first thing I kind of touched about, get, about getting back to basics or what have you. But um, I want the new bow hunter to shoot something that he or she is going to be happy with shooting. Yeah. Whether that be a 30-point bug or a fawn that just lost its spots. That might throw some controversy out there, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> no, I You know, I understand. don't let all this hoopla about, you know, shooting the big bugs. If, if, shoot, if, if you're happy with it, shoot it. Yep. No, I think... Deer, turkey, whatever, you know. Exactly. Do what makes you happy. Yeah, I think all of those are wise words for sure. Um, you know, I, I think you're totally right, Orrin. I mean, we just get, you know, and, and that's fine, like I said, you know, but we do get incredibly wrapped up in, in just antlers and, 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 uh, and there's nothing, you know. I'm not no, 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 and I agree. With that. No, yeah. I mean, I want to shoot a big buck yep. the next For sure. I I don't. For sure. You know? Exactly. Yep. But, but I just, you know, I want, 
people to shoot what they're going to be happy with. Yep. If that two by two is a trophy to you, by all means, yep, get them. Agreed. I've shot, I've shot plenty of them. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, man. Same here. One time I shot one, and my wife asked me if it had broken antlers, and I said, "Oh." Thanks. Appreciate that. Did you say, did you say yeah, it was a six by six when I shot? <laughs> yeah, something like that. I just kind of looked at her like, you, whatever. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, she's like, are their antlers broken on that or what? I'm like, nope, that's just no, the way he no, was. That's how he is. That's awesome. So, anyhow, I won't forget that, but anyhow. Um, one last question. Um, okay. Any other things that you want to share with NB about yourself or any closing thoughts, message that you wanted to, to bring, get across? You know, I, nothing too specific. Just, you know, like I said, I've been a part of the NBA for, for a while now, and I kind of touched on this earlier. It's a great club, awesome members, so much knowledge out there. Do what you can to get more members coming in. Yeah. I mean, I know that's something we're kind of struggling with right now, along with everywhere else across the nation, from what I can kind of hear from other people. But, yeah. you know, try to recruit some new members. Let them know what the club is about. I mean, it's an awesome thing. It really is. If nothing else, just for the people and the knowledge that is held there, and the fun that it's had, I mean, it is well worth it. It yeah. really is. So if there's anybody listening that is contemplating on becoming a member or coming to this stuff, by all means, we'd love to have you. I totally agree. You know, you saying that, um, it's, it's, so, I mean, I just moved to Lexington, started my new job in August. Yeah. And I think I've probably just through my work and, you know, there were people coming over to work on my house or whatever. Like, I think I've met like three or four people just in the last couple months that are bow hunters. And I'll ask them, are you a member of the NBA? And they say, well, no, or, or, well, I was at one time and, yeah, and, you know, and it's just, lot, know yeah. Exactly yeah. Saying. And so I just, you know, I just tell them, I'm like, Hey man, you, you know, and if anybody's listening and, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, make you feel bad or anything, but just don't understand that, you know, this organization does a lot so that you can go bow hunting and, and, and to protect this sport that we love. And, um, yeah. you know, it's what, I think a family membership's $25. Like, oh, you yes, know, I it's think like, so. I, think so. I yeah. mean, you know, like get, you know, 25 bucks, get a newsletter and, and, you know, and, and show your support. And, and anyhow, that's just, I'll, I'll get off the soapbox, but I, I do appreciate, <laughs> no, I do appreciate no, you bringing I, that I up. So. 100%, I do. so anyhow, but well, geez, thanks so much, uh, Oren, for coming on and, and doing this here. Absolutely, um, loved it. Yeah, we uh, I, I've been trying to I've been fiddling with the equipment and trying to get things figured out so that we could, um, you know, so we could get this done and and so I just appreciate you coming on and, um, but uh, yeah, any anything else? Any other thoughts you have? No, not really, not really, not that I can think of. Like I said, um, anybody listening. Get to the jamboree, get to the banquet, get signed up. Yeah. Get out there, kill some deer. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, with that, I'll just uh, I'm just gonna say a few closing statements here. Uh, we just really okay. appreciate you guys, um, all you bow hunters out there, and and you know, or non bow hunters, whoever's listening. We just appreciate appreciate you guys tuning in. But um, we'll uh, we'll look to to hear from you. Um, come. <clears throat> 
Um, if you have any questions, concerns, you can email us at anybowhuntpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also visit the Nebraska Bow Hunters Association um, Facebook page. Um, any of those um, different uh, modalities are, um, are fine, and we would just appreciate any feedback you have for the show. Um, I know Zach is not here right now. I'm just kind of recording a couple of these so that I could um, finish out a few a few of the podcasts that we're that we have rolling up here. So um, just want to uh, just say thanks to everyone for listening and and uh, shoot straight and good luck bow hunting. So thanks, guys.